0: Welcome to the Third Growth Option Podcast, where we talk with business leaders and innovators hungry to drive growth that can be faster than internal organic growth and less risky than acquisition. Your moderator is Bernard Dunkerspuler, Chief Sherpa and CEO at Realign, who has led private equity-owned distributors through turnarounds and growth. With battle-proven leaders from all frontiers, we want to provoke thinking about business growth beyond conventional. Or wisdom, and binary choices.
1: Hey, I'm Benno, your host, talking today with Tara Dikas. Dikas. Uh, see, I got the first name right, and now I screwed up the last name, Tara Dikas. Tara, you're the EVP of uh, at Transpac, a designer, and importer of seasonal decor, and, and you co-founder of Tate & Zoe. Tara, welcome to the Third Growth Option Podcast.
0: Oh, thanks, Benno. I am honored to be here. Thanks for having me.
1: You've built sales teams and sales and operations teams for the last eight or nine years, with, like I said, with Transpack. And before that, uh, you were on the road yourself, you know, meeting with customers as a, as a gift rep at Giftcraft, actually. In the conversations you and I have had over the years, you just strike me as a, as a lifelong learner. You know, you're always kind of looking, listening, learning. I just want to hear more about your growth journey. Um, and I kind of think about it in a couple of different buckets. Uh first I you know, talk a little bit about your career. Uh, I was intrigued that you had wanted to go to law school or thought about law school and then sort of moved away from that in, into a sales job. Just talk a little bit about what your thoughts were on those subjects.
0: Oh goodness, okay. I guess we're we're gonna jump right in then.
1: We are gonna jump right in.
0: I would expect nothing less from you, Benno. I do think it's important to mention that, I mean, I grew up in a a really small town in the mountains of western North Carolina, a little town called Waynesville. Uh, It's not so little anymore, but it certainly was back then. And when I was little, I actually wanted to be a marine biologist. So let me reiterate that I grew up in the mountains of Western North Carolina <laughs> and I am a terrible swimmer and I'm terrified of the ocean, but it seemed See, like I a told good, you you're a lifelong learner. <laughs> it seemed like a good career for some reason, but I do have two older brothers that I absolutely idolize and both are very successful in their own careers. And they both were examples to me on kind of what could be outside of our, you know, small little town. So. I think by the time I got to middle school, um, I'd become very interested in politics, uh, as well as really active in my community by the time I got to high school, and I wanted to do something that would make an impact. And One of my older brothers had become an attorney, and I was able to watch his journey and like how his career path had afforded him such things as travel and experiences and influence, all of the things that were just kind of outside my wildest imagination. And so I decided that I, too, wanted to follow in my brother's footsteps and do law. So on to college and majored in political science and English and thought about being maybe a juvenile law advocate or maybe even a lobbyist of some sort. But ultimately, I was thinking law school and politics. Um, and then I interned at the state juvenile correction facility. And I think that's probably a podcast all on its own. And my brother had gifted me his LSAT books. And honestly, I thought this is my plan. And I'd been really fortunate that I'd had a college scholarship. But by the summer after my senior year, when big decisions were needing to be made, the most important of which was paying my rent and my car payment, I decided that, you know, really I needed to get a summer job and um, to buy me some time. So I got on Craigslist. And that was before Craigslist was creepy. And I found a listing for a gift sales rep, of which I had no idea what that actually meant. But it sounded like shopping and freedom. So I applied. And a few weeks later, I interviewed with Giftcraft and got the job. Shortly thereafter, I was off to Canada for training. And that was in 2001. And now I'm doing a podcast with you, Benna.
1: Yeah, there was a whole lot of things in between, right? Um.
0: (laughs) Yes, there certainly was.
1: How many years were you on the road as a gift rep?
0: Well, I was only at Giftcraft for about two years. From Giftcraft, I actually went on and partnered with Kelly Gunn. And we started a sales agency together and moved on from there to move across the country to Colorado. um, And... Snap Retail and Wear Aware, so I've been in a few different places before I've landed at Transpac.
1: You used an expression a uh, couple of weeks ago when you and I were talking about maybe sales. You know, you, you were asking yourself, can, "Can it fill my cup?" And and is it, you know, maybe not enough? Tell me a little bit more about those first few years being on the road, and you know, what did you love about it, and and what made you also, you know, keep yearning for more? Right.
0: So when I was A sales rep, I was obviously on the road, literally on the road every day for hours a day. And then by the time I got to Snap Retail, the road changed a little bit. I was in an airport every day. Some days I was in a different city in a different state, literally every day. But throughout that journey, I think where I found my passion, where my cup got filled, was really getting to connect with these retailers all across the country, getting to learn their stories and their family legacy and, you know, what they were doing, you know, throughout the 20 years I've been doing this, what they've done to kind of evolve and to adapt to the the changing environment um, that our industry has been put in on many different occasions. And I just fell in love with them and I fell in love with their stories and I love visiting their stores. And as challenging as it was at times to, to live out of a suitcase, so to speak, I loved it. I still love it. Um, and it certainly does fill my cup.
1: You know, it's funny when you talk about the stories of retailers and, and you know, whether it's a one-man or one-woman band somewhere or a, a family of retailers, it's maybe even, you know, multiple generations. I find retail to be a fascinating s- subject matter in terms of how how you have to understand, it's so complex, right? Because you have to understand the product, you have to understand people, you have to understand employees and customers. And there's so much psychology that is part of merchandising and retailing that, I mean, is is, is that part of what attracts you to retailer stories?
0: Absolutely. And I think just having to watch from the changing environment, from the economy, from the challenges that we've had with COVID, From the generational challenges that some of our retailers have, you know, some, some of the younger generation doesn't necessarily want to step into their shoes, just being able to, to watch how quickly they can adapt some out of necessity, some out of desire to keep their legacy afloat. It fascinates me in, in every sense of the word. And I just love the, the human aspect of it. I love being able to have those conversations with them, being able to, to be a part of their business strategy, to be a part of how they're adapting. It's something that I've, I've really enjoyed in all facets of my career.
1: And then you, you talked about chasing leaders, and 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 you said to me, you know, I just started chasing great leaders, and you you know, you talk about you know whether it's Eric Dean or Lori Gilner and 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 many others. I mean, when I was in my twenties and thirties, I don't think I was smart enough to chase leaders like you were. I, I think I was chasing companies, chasing skill sets, and then sometimes I got lucky and. Found a great leader, right? I'm curious if you remember how or when you kind of decided or came across this concept of chasing leaders.
0: Yeah. Well, first of all, I still chase great leaders. I have a list today of people that I want to continue to have intentional conversations with, people that I'm just absolutely fascinated by their career and the things that they've done for our industry. So I hope, or at least I think, that I'll always have. I always have a list, and certainly one of the reasons I've enjoyed your podcast is that you're introducing me to to new leaders that I haven't been necessarily introduced to before, and I've loved hearing their stories. But as far as how I chase great leaders, you know, I mentioned that I grew up in a small town, and you know, looking back, I'm not sure not sure that I really realized then who the haves and the have nots were. If that makes sense, we were raised that we were no better than or less than for that matter, you know, anybody else. And one of the lessons that my father had taught us at a really early age is that, you know, throughout our life, we're going to have three choices. And this is whether it's personal or professional, we're going to have three choices throughout our life that we're going to be faced with on a regular basis. And that's, we can lead, we can follow, or in his words, we can know when to get the hell out of the way. And I think, you know, what he really tried to instill in us with those three choices is that all three of those choices are good choices at certain times. I think the lesson is that you have to know when to choose which choice and when. So I learned really early on in my career that, you know, good salespeople are always going to have opportunities to make more money. And in some instances, that also meant really short stints at places until like the next or bigger opportunity came along. And for me, Like I didn't want to be viewed as just a good or a great salesperson. I wanted, I wanted something more for myself. And I knew that that meant that my goals had to shift from short term financial goals to long term career goals. And really in order to do that, I had to chase leaders and not just a paycheck. And it really kind of goes against a lot of what we're taught growing up, you know, go find a career and make money. I knew that especially in my twenties and early thirties, that that was a time that I needed to follow, not lead and not get out of the way. That was, that was my duration of following. And I wanted to connect to the brightest minds in our industry. I wanted to connect with the innovators and the disruptors and the people that I could really latch onto that would give me an education that I couldn't get anywhere else. And that knowledge I knew is what I needed to be more well rounded because I mean, let's be honest, I am self-aware enough to know that I'm never going to be the smartest person in the room. And that's okay. I accepted that a long time ago. But what I can be and what I'm incredibly proud of is walking into the room alongside the smartest people. And I've done that. And I've been really blessed and fortunate to have had some of those leaders that have guided me along the way that I can walk, walk beside in that room and know that they're the smartest person in there.
1: They say if you're the smartest person in the room, you're in the wrong room. I do think you're one of the very smart people where, you know, as that saying says, hopefully you'll never be the smartest person in the room because then you're in the wrong room. So, and, and, and I think that that's kind of been your mindset probably all along, right? I mean, this, this mindset of chasing leaders in order to grow is that, you know, you're always looking for people that know something that you don't know.
0: I think some of it was dumb luck and some of it was just, I was young and naive and didn't know any better and ambitious and certainly um, a theme that you've carried through in a lot of your podcasts is just genuine curiosity and passion.
1: I think without curiosity, without realizing that whatever we know, it is 0.001% of what all 8 billion people out there know, right? So w- when I look back at, you know, the great leaders that I was, you know, sort of lucky enough to to come across, and I happen to sort of find myself reporting to them. You know, I can recite almost verbatim some of the stuff that some people, like like Gary Friedman, uh, who's now the CEO of, of RH Restoration Hardware, when he was my boss at Pottery Barn, or the IK in Ikea was Ingvar Kamprad. Like, I, I can remember stuff that they said to me 25, 30 years ago. Are there some, like, goodies that you remember people having sort of instilled in you or that they kept saying over and over again that are kind of guideposts?
0: I think two that come to mind, um, Ted Till was always saying mutual trust and respect. And that really resonated with me, just making sure that you go into, whether it's a conversation with somebody that, that you're trying to learn from, or whether it's a sales presentation or whatever the case may be, just Going into those conversations and building those relationships based on mutual trust and respect. Another one, and I think we'll talk about it a little bit later in the podcast, is Lori always talks about hiring based on attitude and aptitude. And that's something that really resonates with me in, in how we communicate with people and how we hire people and looking at it based on their attitude and their willingness to learn versus, you know, necessarily their their skill set or the length of their resume. I think what sticks out to me and a lot of the leaders that I've been fortunate enough to to work alongside or work for aren't necessarily the mantras or the phrases. It's their behavior and how they lead their teams through challenging times. And frankly, how they lead their teams through being really great and successful times. There's, you know, lessons to be learned in in both of those. But I think I think it's more behavior and how they carry themselves and how they treat others are what I've observed and learned the most from. And certainly all they all had very different characteristics and very different leadership styles. And I've loved learning from all of them. It's so true. Just
1: this sort of behavior mindset, how you know certain people carry themselves in certain situations. I I find you just made me think of an example of something that Gary Friedman used to say to us, you know, when I, I was in my early 30s, he was in his, he's seven years old, so he was in his late 30s, I guess. And he, he would say this thing where, I mean, we all kind of rolled our eyes. He was a 37-year-old executive vice president and, you know, Pottery Born at the time was a small little 70, 80, $100 million revenue company. And he would say, basically, I'm kind of a big deal. But the way in which he said it, he, he would say, I'm like the Ralph Lauren of the home furnishings world. And all of us would just roll our eyes. Like, really? Dude, you know, you put your pants on one leg at a time. What do you mean? You're the Ralph Lauren of home furnishings. And now he's like in his late 60s. And damn it, he is like the Ralph Lauren of home furnishings, right? I mean, he, the guy who owns like, I don't know, 10 or 15% of RH. I mean, he's a multi-billionaire, right? That is a tastemaker, right? But that was attitude. And that was mindset. I mean, it felt a little bit out of place for where he was in his late 30s. But because that's how he carried himself, he made more of his life than he would have without that attitude, I think.
0: I love that. I love that. I'll give you, I'll give you a funny one. Ted used to tell us, burn your cool card. You've got to burn your cool card. And I remember when I first started I'm like what is this guy talking about burning your cool card? And what he meant by and it actually was it's carried through with me to this day is you know, stop trying to be so polished like you're coming across totally inauthentic you're not you're better than this like people want to see you they want to connect with you burn your cool card. And so he would make us do all these like random, you know, activities or presentations and things like that that would force us to go into an environment really uncomfortably. In order to get to an authentic version of of ourselves, and it was looking back, brilliant in the moment. I hated it. I hated right, it. It was right. so embarrassing. <laughs> it was so embarrassing. But it's something that stuck with me today. Like I'll give myself a little pep talk if I have to go into a presentation, or if I have to go onto a podcast with you, and I'll be like, "Just burn your cool card. You got this. Burn your cool card." So that one sticks with me.
1: So you've you know done an amazing job learning from great leaders that you chased. You've, you know, worked your way up, as I like to say, the greasy ladder of success, right? Where you're executive vice president of an important big company. And now, you know, in 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 Lori's words, you got to look for attitude and aptitude. So talk a little bit about, you know, your approach to sort of your 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 secret to hiring well.
0: It's a great question. So I'd say the first thing is actually look, look within, right? So when Lori and I first got to TransPac, it was at the time it was private equity owned. And we knew that the tone going into the office is that we were coming in there to make major changes as would be expected. But we also knew really quickly that we had a team of absolutely incredible dedicated people. And it became pretty clear to us that they weren't all in positions that were allowing them to really fully realize their own potential. So in some cases, they were in positions that were counterproductive to their strengths. And I'll give you a couple of examples of that, Beno. So in one instance, we had a key account that was very, very strong with relationships, but she really wasn't as strong with quoting or chasing new business. So we created a new role for her and that was as an inside sales rep. And now a couple of years later, she's managing an entire sales department and doing a couple million dollars a year and has had a substantial impact on reducing attrition as well. Another example is as our company grew and we were acquired by CNF and then new opportunities to acquire other businesses came about for us, you know, we had acquired a, another seasonal business and there was a gentleman that was clearly incredibly strong, um, but had been put in various different roles from finance to ops to sales management, all of which he had done well, right? But not really, not really in one position long enough to excel, so to speak. So in that instance, we created an e-commerce role for him and that combined a little bit of all of what he had been doing. And again, now is running an entire department that does a couple million dollars of business and is doing a phenomenal job really navigating a really challenging environment in e-commerce. We also took the head of our HR who had expressed interest in operations, and she's now managing our distribution center and she's crushing it. So I think the secret number one is have regular meetings with your current staff and your current employees, and don't be afraid to, to shake things up if If you've got good people and they're not in the right role, change the role because good people are hard to find. Change the role. Lori and I have these conversations, she and I together. I also do them with my team. And we like to call them, what do you want to do when you grow up meetings? We have them a a couple of times a year. And that's an opportunity for us to just have really candid discussions about what our interests are and how those have changed. And you know, I'm very interested in you know, acquisitions and mergers and things like that. And as a result of having those conversations, I've, I've been exposed to, to some of those, like those conversations are so important to have. Same goes with your team because it allows you to know, you know, as opportunities arise within your organization, if there's a fit for their continued professional development, but also mutually beneficial for your organization. So I'd say look from within and don't be afraid to shake things up. has certainly been one of our secrets. And I love those, what do you want to do when you grow up meetings? Again, some of my favorite meetings that I have with her every year and some of my favorite meetings that I have with them with my team as well. As for new talent, I think it's a little different. It's similar to how I've navigated finding leaders for my own education and knowledge. First and foremost, I'd say get involved in industry organizations. I know you and Michael talked the other day about the Gift Home Trade Association, and I honestly can't recommend GHTA enough both for leaders and aspiring leaders, because it's an incredible environment to network and to engage and be present and mindful when you're in those meetings for people that are expressing a desire to learn and grow. As far as new people, I'll also give you some examples as well. So we have across our companies, it's um, a multi-line sales agency model. So we don't have a corporate direct sales force. And we pay attention. It's not always the number one sales rep who may make the best corporate leader. And oftentimes, it's actually, it's not. There's a really, really great book called Wolfpack by Amy Wombach. Have you read that, been or heard of it?
1: Wolfpack? I have not, no. Always love book recommendations, though. So thank you.
0: It's a great book. It's an easy read. But one of my favorite things in her book is she talks about she was injured and had to sit out and how her team actually needed her. And she was more impactful when she was leading from the bench than when she was scoring goals on the field. And that really resonated with me as a good reminder that leading doesn't always mean you're the one scoring the goals. Sometimes you're the one that's motivating the team. Um, and sometimes that means you're on the bench. So great book, highly recommend it. We also talked about hiring based on attitude and aptitude and that's because we want to find people that have a willingness to learn and to grow and have expressed that. I don't care about the titles. I don't care about how, how big someone's resume is. So some examples recently of, of how we've hired really good leaders, had a sales manager role open for one of our brands called Totally Gift. The woman that we hired was formerly a sales rep for Transpac. And she had just made a really lasting impression on how she handled herself during difficult conversations with customers, her enthusiasm, her professionalism with with my staff. And when this position became available, she was the first person that came to mind. We hadn't spoken in almost a year, but she was the first person that came to mind. She never worked on this side of the business before. and It didn't matter because I knew that I could teach her the job, so to speak, but what she had wasn't something that I could put into a training manual. And she's absolutely thriving. One other example, just quickly, anecdotally, is the Transpac sales management position. This was one that I was really close to because I kind of developed that role and poured my heart into it for five, six years. And so when we were hiring for the position, in this instance, I really leveraged my network. I went to past mentors. I went to collaborators. I went to colleagues. I explained the position and how important it was and the type of person that we were looking for. And ultimately, we didn't hire the person that had the best resume or the person that had the most extensive experience we hired the person that had great feedback from colleagues and the person that had the most heart the most desire the most passion for the industry and she's taken this role and she's crushing it and honestly I could not be more proud to watch her shine and you know in some instances you'd say that a lot of the people that we hire are underdogs I'd say that I myself was probably an underdog when I when I started here and that's okay that's okay
1: I love the term will and skill, right? It's the same as, you know, will is attitude and skill is aptitude. You can teach skill, but it's, but you really cannot teach will, right? I mean, people either have it or they don't. They're either hungry or they're not. They either, you know, are, you know, love people or they don't, right? It's true. I think what you're, What you're saying when you were talking about looking within the existing team to see if maybe you move people around, you were talking about being people centric. Don't only look at the results that they create and, and the skills that they have, but look inside the people and, and their dreams and desires, as well as, you know, their will of what, where they want to be when they grow up. I love that too. I love this conversation about how. You know, you, you're going through your career chasing leaders, looking for what you can learn from others, what you can learn from customers, what you can learn from retailers, what you can learn from your own team, what you can learn from people on the outside that maybe you want to bring into the team. What are some things that you wish your 30-year-old self would have known that you know now?
0: the people are going to disappoint you and people are going to bring you to tears you know it's not to be cliche about the thick skin because i think it's more than that i think when you're really passionate about something and you really love what you do when people disappoint you it's a different kind of disappointment it really just strikes straight to your heart you know what i mean then no, i like just it's a different kind of disappointment so I would tell my younger self that just be prepared for the disappointment and move on from it. Don't spend too much time and energy on that because it's not, it's not worth,
1: cause it's going to happen.
0: <laughs> it's going to happen right. and it's not worth stealing your own light. Don't give it more energy than it needs. So certainly I would say that would be some of the advice that I would give. I would also say, I would tell my younger self that it is okay to have boundaries and it's okay to slow down sometimes. And not everything has to be a race. And to give yourself the permission and the grace to slow down and set boundaries.
1: I'll remind you of that in the middle of the Atlanta market when you...
0: (laughs) (laughs) Maybe not Atlanta. You can remind me in Vegas.
1: (laughs) All right. right. (laughs) I love it. Uh, Tara, thank you so much for taking the time, sharing your thoughts, your truth, your knowledge of what you've learned along the way. It's been a wonderful conversation. Thank you so much.
0: Oh, thank you. And I'm truly flattered. And so um, so honored that you asked me to be a part of this. No, thank you. Um, I really enjoy your podcast and look forward to listening to upcoming episodes. So thank you for the consideration. I appreciate being here.
1: Terrific. Hey, thank you so much. And uh, if uh, folks wanted to explore other growth topics, You can always find me on our website, realignforresults.com or just email Benno, B-E-N-N-O at realignforresults.com. And before I close it out, Tara, I forgot to give you an opportunity. If folks wanted to reach out to you, what's the best place to find you? Is it just on LinkedIn or maybe an email address?
0: Sure. Certainly you can find me on LinkedIn, Tara Digos, or feel free to email me as well. It's tdigos at shoptii.com
1: there you go all right thanks for listening and uh keep growing you can listen
0: to more episodes on apple spotify or google we would love for you to subscribe rate and review it share it with your friends or colleagues if you enjoyed the content always growing